Anyway, thank you for listening to all the various announcements and, and the Donna talk, and it's so much goodness goes into what happens here, and, but sometimes it takes quite a lot of time, and thanks for your patience, and thanks for sticking around for the, for the Dharma talk as well, and as I was sitting tonight, I was recalling, and it's a beautiful thing to have memory, to be able to think of the past, present moments in real time. And I noticed that my mind was thinking about those things, and with those thoughts came a certain kind of feeling. And in this case, it was the, the memory of having just led a, a retreat this past weekend. And it was, it was at a, a very beautiful place, completely off the grid, uh, up in, in, um, in Arizona. And like most retreats, the first 24 hours of the retreat, the invitation, as it always is, and the invitation for our whole life, not just on retreat, is to, is to just sit down. Just stop. This stopping. And then just learning how to sit in the middle of your life. Be in the middle of your life. In this case, it's actually sit, to sit down. And in moments in sitting down, moments of real simplicity, moments of just knowing that you're present. I had many, many moments where I said, this must be what heaven is like. And I had the same thing tonight when I was sitting with you. This must be what heaven is like. And in a sense, nothing was really happening. And I noticed that those moments where this must be what heaven is like, they were generally pleasant moments. Moments when I wished that I could sit there forever. But I also noticed, and of course people reported, that there were, it was really hard to sit when it was unpleasant. And it, two very interesting things happen when we stop and it's pleasant. And we attempt to stay present when it's pleasant. It seems that time goes by very quickly when we're aware and present. And then, when it's unpleasant, it seems like time is interminable. It's endless. And it reminds us that time is really subjective, and it, our perception of it changes whether we're experiencing something pleasant or unpleasant. And it reminds us that time doesn't really exist as an objective fact. It exists as this perception of reality that is based on what we're experiencing and how we're relating to it. We can all sense when we are really simply present and it's neither pleasant or unpleasant, 
like even maybe right now, if you just in a moment of being present, and you don't think of the past or the future, or even of the present, you find that there's really no time here. And you'll find that also when there's no time, perception of time, there's usually not a lot of suffering either. So there's a place when we are really present, not caught in our perceptions of time, either elongated or short or fast or slow. When we're not caught in our perceptions of time, there is a, there is a refuge. There's a place of safety, a place of peace. And if you sit down in it long enough, you'll begin to to feel and experience that, that sense of presence. And the more that sense of presence, awareness with a sense of being embodied, which at first is really hard to do, because we are like Thich Nhat Hanh's great poem called Froglessness. He says, if you put the frog on the center of a plate, it quickly jumps out. If you put the frog back again on the center of the plate, it jumps out again. We have so many plans. Therefore, we always want to make a leap, a leap forward. He says, it's difficult to keep the frog still on the center of the plate. He says, you and I both have, we all have Buddha nature in us, this awakened nature. You and I have Buddha nature in us. This is encouraging. But you and I have frog nature in us. That's why the first attainment of the practice, froglessness, is its name. So as people learn to sit in the middle of their own experience, at first, the frog nature is dominating. You taste a little bit of discomfort, and then the mind goes into reaction, and then the day, the hour, the sitting, endless. And then once that that little narrative gets generated, oh, this is endless. The body tightens up more. The heart gets hard. That, the, hardness, the hardness of heart, the mind spinning, it generates more and more and more thought. And, you know, within that thought on a retreat, one of those thoughts is the planning of the escape. <laughs> when is this over? And if it's not, I'll figure a way to make it over. And then very clever rationalizations why this it may not be a good time to do a retreat. But slowly, slowly, as this sense of aware presence grows, as one marinates in that sense of just being invited to take in what is, what is present, to take in the pleasant, without complicating it with trying to figure out how to keep it. 
and make it last forever, to take in the unpleasant and let it tenderize, let it touch you, let it ferment you, as the Hafez poem says. And slowly, slowly, one is able to sit down in it. Sit down in it. And it turns out that this quality of being with this, what we call awareness or mindfulness with clear comprehension, it brings with it affection. Attention brings affection. Everything and everyone, when it is allowed to be experienced with some continuity of awareness, everything becomes the cause of, the, of a, a great heartfulness. And it, it was remarkable over the course of this weekend how it, was, it just became a love fest. It became this beautiful, this must be what heaven is like. So the difficulty, though, at being able to sit down in the middle of it and meet our experience with kindness, the difficulty, it reminded me that if we can't sit with ourselves with kindness, if we can't meet our own experience with kindness, the fruits of everything we've been through with kindness, how the hell are we going to meet all the pain in the world with kindness? The unpleasant in the world. I don't know how many of you are following the story of the refugees from Calais, in Calais. The, I don't need to tell the whole story, but just every, you know, all spots in our own communities throughout the world, there's just endless amounts of pain that needs to be met with kindness, that needs to have our service, our care. But we can't, we can hardly sit with ourselves. And when we sit with ourselves in general, we're often hard-hearted toward ourselves. We're not tender-hearted toward ourselves. And it was funny tonight, it just was coming to me, I was sitting over on the bench over there and I was hearing the, in my mind the, the Burt Backrack, Dionne Warwick tune, what the world needs now is, is love sweet. I feel like singing it together. What the world, you know, I don't, I, I won't do it, but. What the world needs now is love sweet love. That's the only thing that there's just too little of. But the Buddha suggested that we start with ourselves. Start sitting in the middle of our own experience and meeting it with kindness. I had such a beautiful time kind of pointing out this capacity on this retreat. And there were, people were really dealing with some heavy emotional experiences. And they were and did not know, you know, we're so great at thinking about our feelings, not so good at feeling them. But it was so interesting when attention 
was brought to the feeling states directly, without, without resistance, without trying to make something happen, without checking out, without the poisons of greed, hatred, and ignorance. Just simple awareness. The feelings would come, they'd go, they'd leave in their wake a feeling of relief. There would be a feeling of confidence that, yes, I can experience the flow of very intense feelings. Why was that possible? Because attention itself becomes the cause of affection. Our heart opens to ourselves. We relax. But it is the road less traveled. We are much more habituated, and you can see in the world, the world is much more habituated to reacting to pleasant and unpleasant with grasping, condemning, and delusion, and and just spacing out. And and delusion in the form of personalizing everything. Everything is about me. And we stop living what Ashvagosa says is a life of... He says we want to devote ourselves to a life of truth, not a life of self. Not all about me and mine. A life of truth says humanity, life, is, has so many things that are hard to bear in it. And it needs to be open to. This is a life of truth. And it is our opening to it that allows a freedom, as, as Ken was saying, allows a letting go. The the movement away from what's difficult in this world, you know, periodically, I, I realize, I, if I'm reading an article or watching a television program about something intensely painful, I can't say that I can watch every single thing. We have to back off every now and then and, and take care of our unregulated nervous system. But in general, we want to, it, it turns out, if you turn toward it, it it tenderizes. But if it becomes all about protection, defense, building a a fortress around the imagined me, trying to find security for myself, even though that's an innocent desire, but trying to find security in something that can't be secured, no one can feel, no one can keep out the hordes of difficulties in life. It is not possible. And it just makes us miserable trying to do it. And so we slowly, in our practice, we go against the stream of, that, of the poisons that are, tend to run our world of greed and hatred and ignorance. And instead, we try to actualize that Necessity. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. And we turn first and foremost toward ourselves. Remember the Buddha said you could scan the world in all directions and not find anyone more deserving of loving kindness than oneself. And if we truly open to ourselves, as I've been talking about endlessly in the last weeks, and you really experience your condition as a human being, there is absolutely no justification at any moment in the span of your life to be hard on yourself. That we have to go through so much 
and anything other than kindness and mercy is, as, as one teacher put it, a grievous error. That teacher, his name is Nisargadatta, he says, yes, your flight from pain and your search for pleasure is actually, you're distracting in other words, is a sign of love for yourself. You know, you're trying to find relief. But all I plead with you is this, make love of yourself perfect. Give attention to yourself and you'll see if you keep growing in this kind of, this present awareness that you will, you'll experience a kind of freedom. You'll stop as the Rumi poem says, you'll stop running from silence. Your old life was an endless running from silence, endless restlessness, endless thirst, endless hunger, endless obsession with what's next. Instead, stop, sit down, sit in the middle of it all, open to your own experience. So we start there. Can you open to the experience you're having right now? Can you be kind to your own mind and your own body, your own heart, whatever your mood is? Can you treat it as you would uh, an innocent, a vulnerable child? That's what we are. We could not be more vulnerable as humans. Our bodies are changing. They're literally, as you know, as one teacher put it, we're sinking ships from the moment we're born. Our moods are fluctuating all over the place. Our thousands of thoughts unbidden floating through our mind. Our weather, our resources, our politics, our wars, everything of our life is marked by a certain vulnerability. We are the heirs of all the conditions that brought us to this moment through no fault of our own. All of our emotional patterning, our thinking, our feelings, everything made up of non-personal causes and conditions. Not our fault. And yet, this very strong habit of personalizing everything. It's my fault. And then fighting with ourselves. If we really saw the level of our vulnerability, we could not be unkind to ourselves. So we start here. If you can do that with yourself, let's do it, let's have a let's have a, a 30-day be kind to yourself. Practice period. Everybody agree? How many agree to do 30 days of committed five times a day hugging yourself <laughs> in some form? <laughs> Yay. I think you will find, and this doesn't preclude doing other things of being loving to others, but you'll find that if you can regard yourself with some loving kindness, loving attention, your way of, your understanding of what other people go through will be that much more compassionate, that much more understanding. 
You'll see if you open to your own conditions, because it is a kind of unbinding and an unraveling, and you see, wow, I've got this little, I've got this infant in me. I've got this intense vulnerability that is at the root of everything. I need, I need to be held more than I need to be judged. And if I can do that, if I can see, if I can open to my own vulnerability, I'm going to start to see everybody that way. Everybody is being driven by trying to protect that infant or that, that, that vulnerability, that young one in us that's still scared, that's still in that sense of existential terror about when am I going to die? What if things don't work out? What if my near and dear ones die? Which they will. So we're all tender. So 30 days of tenderness and then slipping in some just looking at your fellow bugs and seeing their vulnerability instead of their behavior, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Who am I referring to? (laughs) Look at their vulnerability. Even the people who seem the most insane are being driven by their vulnerability. And of course, because we are vulnerable, there's no amount of ego building that can uh, satisfy that vulnerability. The only thing that satisfies that vulnerability is love, sweet love. This running from silence, this running from love, this, this moving into the three poisons, just as a cultural, as a human habit, again, everybody does it until you stop. But this, this moving has left in its wake, left in our world, so much obliviousness, so much, so much divisiveness, so much... Um, so much an ability in a way to at least temporarily to hide away through fear to hide away in a kind of dullness to hide in our in our technology to hide in our in our televisions in our in our inside our homes i don't know how many of you have traveled many in this room this seems like an international crowd but the shocking thing after traveling overseas was coming back and not seeing anybody on the streets relative other places people are out and they're engaged with each other and they're talking to each other here came back and even though there are people out it seemed empty everybody's in their cars in their houses in their building we've lost this sense of of the shared connection and people are are ghettoized And then we don't actually feel, we don't know what's happening in our uh, communities of color and, our, and communities where there's, you know, right in our midst, where there's tremendous 
poverty, and violence, and lack of safety. And even though we've done this out of love for ourselves to try to find safety, it, doesn't, it just makes us, un, it, it leaves us, leaves us disconnected, kind of cut off from the flow of life. And we see this environmentally, what happens when we get into our little blinders. I brought along to, with me tonight a, a short little passage from Wendell Berry, and I really resonated with this. He said, we haven't accepted, we can't really believe that the most characteristic product of our age of scientific miracles is junk. (laughs) But that is so. And we still think and behave as though we face an unspoiled continent with thousands of acres of living space for every person. We still sing America the Beautiful as though... we had not created in it by strenuous effort at great expense and with dauntless self-praise and unprecedented ugliness. So we get far from nature and we we create ugliness. We, We move far from ourselves and we create isolation and loneliness. So first, we have to give some love to ourselves, self-compassion, and then st- keep spreading that, those circles of affection until there's nobody left out, including, and I say this every week, including our most crazy politicians. <laughs> so there is nobody that we put out of our heart, that we see the vulnerability in each person It doesn't mean that we don't try to stop them. But we don't have to hold any ill will. But if we're still holding so much ill will to ourselves, how are we going to do that? So 30 days of self-compassion and kindness. And may that and our moment-to-moment attention, which brings affection, may all of that be the cause of happiness for you and for those who have to live who have to live with you and for all beings everywhere may all beings be touched by our practice practice thank you so just to accelerate that please i expect to see all of you at spirit rock on saturday the title of the day is calming the restless mind and we will go through all the foundations that allow us to, to develop the affection that comes through attention. Anyway, thank you. Thanks for your generosity, too. And see you next week, hopefully. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.